For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by John Jantz, and we'll explore how and why teaching sells. If you want a painless way to grow your influence and to ultimately sell, be sure to listen to this show. I've also got a cool announcement that I want to share with you. As a matter of fact, I'll do that right now. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. With that, let's transition over to today's excellent interview with John Jantz on selling by teaching. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. I'm very excited to be rejoined by John Jantz. And if you don't know who John is, he's written four books, including Duct Tape Marketing. His newest book is called Duct Tape Selling. And John helps small and mid-sized businesses enhance their sales and marketing efforts. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back, Mike, and thanks for uh, sharing what little I may know with your incredible audience. Uh, You know a lot, John. So here's what's going to happen today. John and I are going to explore how to sell by teaching. And this is something that I think is going to be a lot of fun because I know both of us do this. So, John, let's start with your backstory. Um, How did you ever get into sales? I mean, what got you interested in selling? I would say it goes really far back. My my father was uh, a traditional manufacturer's rep. I don't even really think the term exists anymore, but he he represented manufacturers from different parts of the world, all in kind of the housewares industry. And he would get in the car on Monday and drive to you know town to town and call on the variety store and the hardware store, and he he'd sell them his his stuff. So I you know I I really at a very young age was exposed not only to the that as a profession, uh, but I really think he was a tremendous uh, mentor for me. I, I actually. Him as my first sales coach uh, in the book because I, I think he really, you know, we can talk about it and we will talk about how like all this stuff has changed, selling has changed. We have all these new tools and and things available to us, but but I think when you really loop back to what it's all about, I mean, he was so so obsessed with delivering value and and making sure that he kept his word and making sure that he went over and above. And I I think in its essence, that's really, that's what superstar salespeople do today. We just have uh, different things to concern ourselves with and, and a different tool set to use to do that. But it's still all about delivering value. So what, what were you selling in the early days, John? 
Yeah, so I actually right out of uh, right out of college took a job uh, with a sales uh, uh, organization. It was essentially a printing company, but they were very uh, specialized in the horticultural industry. And so my clients were all the, all over the Midwest were bulb companies and seed companies and tree companies that produced these uh, giant uh, you know color uh, catalogs back in the day when. People sent those things through the mail, and and that's how we ordered. And uh, so uh, I I really kind of you know grew up uh, seeing uh, how sales was done, and then uh, really cut my teeth uh, really in my first job. You know I love selling, and um, a lot of people don't know this, but I worked at a Sears um, store that was a experimental store. The h- entire store was a hundred percent, well not a hundred percent, but a hundred percent of the employees were commissioned at the store. Oh, and wow. I was working in the the men's department, so I got commission by selling Levi's jeans. <laughs> so believe it or not, you know, or any jeans for that matter, I got really good when I was motivated and commissioned to, at a very young age, I got really good at helping people understand what the value proposition was to a good pair of jeans. And, and, you know, it's funny because now when I think back, I've been doing this forever. And, um, Obviously, back then it was different, right? Because people knew what they want when they came into the store, but now it's something different. So let's transition to that something different and let's talk about the teaching component. How does teaching and selling connect? Well, I think in a couple ways. I mean, I, I think when you show up and you start saying, you know, when somebody feels like you're trying to sell them something and shove something down their throat, I mean, there's sort of that immediate. You know, even if I need what you're selling, there's sort of that immediate wall that goes up, like watch my wallet. But I think when somebody shows up and and really starts uh, telling stories, starts uh, sharing examples of of you know other people's successes, starts kind of painting a picture on you know here's how to solve your challenges, even if some of those challenges aren't directly related to to maybe what I uh, what that person might sell. I, I think you all of a sudden that trust. Um, barrier, you know, is removed and and you start relating to this person who is actually maybe delivering value right now, um, you know, as opposed to really trying to get you to exchange, you know, some money for that. So I, I think that's number one. I think the other thing is it, it having that approach or that mentality and seeking opportunities to teach, be they, you know, workshops or seminars or panels or just even in writing, I think it really has the the natural effect of, of attracting people to you because a lot of people want that information. They want to be taught. They want to be led. And so somebody who really develops a reputation for being able to do that is, is going to actually be invited into places where they might actually then have the opportunity to sell. And you know what? I, I mean, I want to dwell on this a little bit because it's so, so important. Before I started Social Media Examiner, I was the white paper guy. And I wrote white papers. And every time that I would get a chance to speak about white papers, I would share so much value and so much detail that my hope was that somebody out of the audience would be able to walk away and go get started on writing their own white paper. And the funny thing is that I learned very quickly that People want to know that, you know, either A, if they can do it or not, and uh, and all you need is a couple of people, like let's say there's 100 people in the audience. All I needed was one or two people to say, man, this guy provided so much value to enable me to do this on my own that he's proven to me that he's an expert. I'm going to go up to him and find out how much it costs to hire this guy. And yeah. I, I would never walk away from a speaking gig without getting one or two gigs. And it, it it's kind of is a reprogramming of our mental way of doing things, right? Because we've been told that if we know something, we should sell it. And 
instead, what you're proposing is that we give it away. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting. I still read advice from people today saying, you know, when you go do these things, tell them what to do, but don't tell them how to do it, right? Because then they won't hire you. And And I just think that that's, you know... I think that's so backwards because as you as you talked about, uh, most of the there certainly would probably somebody out there that went great. I got all of Mike's tips now. I can do it myself. But but the majority of the people you want to work with uh, are those people that that want to be certain that you know how to do exactly what you're talking about. And I think that that's really really the key. I mean, so I go into presentations all the time, and and I will just say, do this, do that. Here's exactly how to do it. I mean, if somebody really actually wanted to, they could do exactly what I'm proposing uh, without me. Uh, but I think what happens is the the person that that is really my ideal customer that wants to work with true professionals, that wants to work with somebody that they can really bond with and, and feel good about and respect is, is the kind of person that's going to hire me just be, because in many cases I demonstrated not, not just my expertise, but my willingness to give before I ask. And let's not underestimate the value of the unexpected referral that can come from this, right? Because all the people that are in the audience that may not buy from you might be in a situation down the road where someone they know is looking for someone and what's going to happen. They're going to recommend you, right? Yeah. I think that happens all the time. In fact, you know, when I talk about just general marketing, we have to think about building this audience or users or followers or subscribers. I I'm, I'm certain, you know, of course I've, I've no way to really quantify this, but I'm certain that 50% of my business comes by way of, of people that I maybe don't even directly interact with or certainly have, are not customers. So, do you? I know that um, you probably can think of some businesses other than yours and mine that are using teaching and are somehow growing and benefiting as an example of it. Is there one in particular you can share with our audience so they can kind of hear of another company that seems to be doing it well? Yeah, well, well there are a couple – I mean, I think there's some some, I, some examples that people are very familiar with, and I think it's re- I think it's relevant to mention those because I think people are like, oh, okay, that's what they're doing. I mean, our our friends at HubSpot certainly have uh, made a living, you know, out of doing that. Um, I I purchase a lot of outdoor gears from gear from REI, um, uh, which is a retailer essentially of of you know, tents and camping stuff and bikes and everything. And they do a tremendous amount of teaching, you know, how to do that, how to find places, where to go, you know, that, that kind of information that, that really, I think, supports the stuff that they actually sell for the enthusiast who, who really wants to be part of that community as well as, you know, buy a pair of hiking boots. Uh, but I also have, I also see, you know, very small companies, um, uh, soft, small software company that I work with that uh, produces, uh, has a very small market. They only sell to higher ed. Uh, they sell to uh, universities and it's uh, scheduling software uh, that they sell to them. And, you know, you would think pretty mundane, right? I mean, it makes sure that the building's uh, available. You know, they've got three or four competitors really in the space. And what they've done is, um, and, and I think this is an important part, it's not just enough to produce a whole bunch of content or just say, we're going to teach. Um, I think you have to be driving a, a strategy and a point of view with that. And and what they've actually said is, hey, our software, we figured out how to actually use our software so that you can graduate kids faster, so that people aren't paying as much you know, for college um, because you know, you're able to make sure that they get the courses that they want to get. And so all of a sudden, they have changed their entire 
what we're about. We're not scheduling software. We're tuition affordability, and we are access to completion. Um, and and so obviously um, they they have to do a lot of teaching around that message and around that you know how that how they're not selling software. They're selling uh, something completely different, a much higher vision. Um, and so I, I think that's a, a a really key role. I think it's not just enough to say we're going to teach or we're going to produce a bunch of content. I think what's really key is that you have this key point of differentiation or this point of view or something that you're really going to drive home with this so that that, that becomes the backbone of the message for everything that you're going to do with this teaching uh, to, to make sure that you're using it as a way to differentiate. Because really, you know, anybody can hold webinars. Anybody can hold workshops and, and you know, try to suck people into to, you know, veiled sales presentations. And I, and I think the real key to this is to have a unique point of view. Well, just a couple other examples. I want well, I want to elaborate a little bit more about what HubSpot is doing, only because I wrote about them in my second book launch. Um, what HubSpot is doing is they've got they've got first of all great eBooks that they put out on a regular basis that are pretty rich in how to do just about everything you can ever imagine. They've got um, live webinars where they bring experts on. Home Depot is another one that comes to mind when you oh, were yeah, talking yeah. about REI. Home yeah. Depot holds workshops where you can bring your child, for example, and make a birdhouse or something, and it's totally free. And it makes sense, right? Because it's like a fun thing. They're not selling you anything. They're showing you how to make something. And the hope, next, I think... Ne- next thing you know, you've got a new power saw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or you decide to make another birdhouse and bigger, you know? And then Cliff Ravenscraft is another guy who's doing a great job. And Cliff's angle is he's got a podcast called the Podcast Answer Man, and every week he answers questions about podcasting for podcasters. And, you know, he has established himself as a thought leader. So, I mean, we've just talked about, gosh, five or six or seven different examples of how this may work. Um, and, you know, I, what I want to do is let's drill down a little bit. Like, how do we actually make the content? Um, in your book, you talk about a total content system. Can you kind of describe what that is a little bit? Well, what um, what I created or that concept is really built around the fact that that you know I long have long believed that you know waking up on Monday and saying oh I better write a blog post you know just doesn't scale if we're going to really take this idea of content you know as a strategic part of our business and our, and our marketing and so the idea behind the total content system is you know there are probably eight or ten themes, we might call them keywords, uh, phrases, ideas that that really make up the bulk of what a business should be writing about. So it's the stuff that people, their clients are looking for. It's the stuff that that really are the, you know, the key industry terms. I mean, we we can all kind of sit around probably and, and in pretty quick order come up with 10 or 12 of those themes. And so I said, you know, since people are struggling with this idea of producing content, you know, what if we looked at that as a total body of work and we said, okay, here, here are going to be our 12 themes for this year. Mm. Um, so we're going to make that, you know, basically our editorial calendar, if you will. Um, and so then we, you know, that doesn't mean we're only going to write about one topic in January, but if we know what our editorial calendar theme wise is going to look like, first off, it forces us to focus on the important things we should be writing about. It gives us a little framework to then go out and start recruiting guest posts, uh, thinking about a group of posts that would turn into an ebook, 
thinking about podcast people we might want to schedule. Uh, now, we, now we've got a framework for it four, five, six months down the road. Um, and so that's really the idea for me is it kind of marries the editorial calendar with the, the search engine optimization, if you will, um, bent. Uh, but, but really more than anything else, just kind of gives people a workable framework for really what could be an entire year or a rolling year of, of what they should be producing. And, and the, thing, the, the reason I keep coming back to that should is because I think it's real tempting to go down you know, this path or this craze. And, and I think long-term, if you want to build an asset with content and with teaching, uh, you need to think in terms of, of really consistency and longevity and coming back to the same themes in a different way over and over again. Well, you know, it's funny because one of the words that comes to my mind is programming. And John, you and I have spoken in the past um, about how you use your podcast to program your audience and kind of prep them for your next book. And, yeah. and you've been doing that for a while with this book. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And, and it's not just the podcast. I, I have a, you know, I, I write about it in the book, just the, you know, why I think everybody should be writing and, and, uh, you know, even people that don't think they are writers. Um, I, I just think that, uh, you know, we essentially, when it comes down to it, most of us, if we're in business, I don't care what our title is, you know, we're doing some sort of selling or convincing or, you know, uh, getting people to, to rally around our ideas. Um, and, and so, you know, what I try to do and have tried to do is, and I, and sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's not, but is, is to start putting, so I knew I was going to write this book, right? For So I'll use this as an example. So I started, uh, putting out feelers of content because I have this, you know, blogging habit uh, that I do every day. I have this podcast. I have, you know, several other places that uh, that I produce content, and and you start putting that out there, and you start testing the waters, and you start getting feedback for, you know, what resonates, what. Uh, um, galvanizes, you know, what uh, what doesn't work and just falls completely flat. Um, and I think that that because you know, if if you have this, you know, this kind of body of work mentality, and you're always putting those things out and using your platform um, to to you know test ideas out, but also to to you know firm ideas up. And and I'll, I'll even I'll even put a quote or something I'm thinking about, you know, as a controversial headline. I'll, I'll put it on Twitter. Uh, maybe a week before I write the thing, and just see what happens. Did it, you know? Did people react to it? Did they, uh, did they share it? And and I think that that that's one of the beauties of of really, you know, doing this for a while is is that you get pretty good at at you know pretty quickly measuring things using all these tools that we have available now. And you know, um, a couple episodes back, I had Brian Clark um, on the show, and we talked about using podcasts to launch. And as a matter of fact, uh, let's see, that was episode. Oh gosh, I'll figure it out while I'm talking. But um, what was really intriguing, and, and I think we both agree that Brian does a great job of teaching and selling. As sure. a matter of fact, he had the first course that I was aware of that I think both of us went through called Teaching Sells way back in the that's, day. That's right. And what Brian was doing brilliantly with this podcast called, uh, I think, the New Rainmaker podcast was it was kind of like every episode he was teaching people how to do marketing and how the world of marketing is changing. And then by the time he got to the point where he had an episode and he, he eventually revealed as he was going through that he's got a new platform called New Rainmaker. And then he got to the point recently where he did a full one hour long podcast about what is New Rainmaker. Yeah. And essentially he was teaching people what it was, but it was a sales pitch. I listened to the whole thing as I'm sure you did. And I thought it was brilliantly executed. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. Cause you must've observed that too. I did. And, and, and you explained one Avenue, but I mean, he had 10, 
you know, 10 branches working and doing all of that via, you know, via email and, and some of the blog posts that he was producing and obviously his podcast. And, um, and I think that, that, you know, Brian, I think is, is as well as anyone understands this idea of integration, uh, too, that, that it's not, it's not just Twitter or it's not just Facebook or, or, you know, one thing or another. It's really how all of this stuff works together. And quite, quite frankly, you, I've used you as an example of that. I mean, you, you have that conference that, that, that you, you know, sell out uh, the last couple of years and is, is, you know, grown massively a year over year. And a lot of that is really driven by, of course, people go to it and they like it and they talk about it. But a lot of that's driven by your multi streams and, and, and platform of sharing incredible content and curating incredible content and doing, you know, things like this um, is really what kind of leads people to on that journey of that to where they know, like trust, uh, you know, try some of your content maybe, and then want to, you know, plop down what for some people is a, you know, pretty, pretty nice amount of money to attend a conference. Yeah, and, and at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 86, we'll have it in the show notes if you want to check that out. So one of the things that I'm sure is going through people's mind right now is, okay, you sold me on the value that I need to teach. So how do I decide what to teach? Well, I think that, um, I mean, I, I, I think one of the things, of course, you have to be teaching is, is uh, you know, slap me after I say this, but is the stuff people want to learn. Um, but, but one of the mistakes that I see people making is that they, you know, they, they either decide, okay, I need to be writing blog content. So they just write blog content or I need a brochure. So they make a brochure or I need a white paper. So they make a white paper. And, and I think you have to understand that, that, the use of this content, the, use, the 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 purpose of all this teaching is to guide people kind of down this logical path, um, and in some cases, it's hey, I'm going to check out this webinar. I've never heard of this Stelzner dude, but I'm going to you know check this out. And and so you you know some of your content is just creating awareness, right? Uh, but then you have to think in terms of intentionally uh, creating content that actually builds trust. So that may be case studies or examples of of successes or or raving fans and reviews. But then you do have to, once you've kind of moved people down that path, have to have content that says, here's how it's going to work for you, right? Here is exactly how we work. Here's what we're going to do with you. You know, now that you've kind of moved to this place where you're ready to consider uh, us, you know, what, what does that look like? Then you also have to have, um, I think, um, content that really engages your uh, community engages your customers that 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 they create and they participate in, um, and then lastly, you do actually have to have content that specific purpose is to convert. So that might be your FAQs, or that might be your calculator, or that might be your evaluation. Um, and I think that that's the the place. Um, and and I guess I'll end at last is you you also need to have content for specifically for referrals, um, and so. You, you instead of thinking about oh I just need to produce a bunch of content or I need to do a bunch of teaching you need to also say okay I need to have content that is going to serve a very specific purpose and I need to be very intentional about what that purpose is and how I use it. I'll share a little bit about how we do it at Social Media Examiner in particular when it comes to our conference like Social Media Marketing World. So what we do is we have our daily content which is you know just pure raw educational content with no obvious connection to any conference at all. But then we have special content that I'll call, I'll just call it special content that is designed to accomplish something more. So for example, we might, and I think John, you were probably part of this. We might reach out to a bunch of our speakers at our conference and ask them to contribute a tip. Right. Um, and then we will collate all that together 
and maybe make you know uh, 20 tips from the pros and at the end we'll say who are these pros they're all speaking at this conference you know so we have to be very careful about that but you know as long as we're providing a lot of value that is going from what i'll just call pure educational content to establish us as leaders to content that's valuable but at the same time has a little bit of a pitch and then occasionally we'll have special content that says um, like, should you come to social media marketing world, you know? Yep. Um, and that's very, very specific. But in the end, you know, we kind of try to dance this very careful line between um, all of this. And, and then, you know, the secret for us is to get people on our newsletter because then we can actually send them very direct stuff. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about that because I know that I think you believe in this as well, the value of newsletters and content. So, you know, why is this? How can we get these passive people that are consuming our content to become possibly people we could communicate a sales message through and, and is email part of the answer yeah well i think what you described is what happened you know you if you just, if i'd never heard of you and you sent me that message or i said let's say i subscribed to your newsletter and the first thing i got from you was hey buy our conference ticket it's a hundred dollars off today you know i think <clears throat> excuse me there may be people that do that but i think we lose a lot of people that way and what you described is those kinds of content, what what that I think that that does, or how to think about that is, is you actually earn the right to say, "Hey, John, you know, I'm going to sell you something today." <laughs> you know, I think you I think you earn the right to be very direct about uh, that that you know obvious you know sales message by the fact that you've delivered so much value up to that point, or you've 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 delivered value in a way that had me kind of move along and say, okay, yeah, now I'm ready to hear that sales pitch. So I think that's an important uh, element in, in terms of how you schedule it and, and the intentional nature of, of the content you produce. But when it comes to newsletters, I, I mean, you know, right off the bat, you know, one of the values of a newsletter is somebody reads your great killer five tips to do X, Y, Z, and they have a little, there's a little, you know, they went on online and found it. They maybe had never heard of you before, but that, that article popped up in the search engines. They read it and they think, yeah, this is really solid stuff. And so then they click away and, you know, maybe they never find you again. But at the bottom of that article, there was also something that said, hey, if you love this stuff, you know, don't miss a single article. And they think, oh, yeah, I'm going to give these guys my email address. And that's how they end up on your, your newsletter, right? And then so then in your case, it's daily. Uh, but in my case, uh, you know, they're going to hear from me on a weekly basis. Um, I'm going to use that weekly um, invitation into their inbox to hopefully continue to share value Maybe occasionally talk about you know a new book that I have or or a product uh, uh, that I'm producing, but that newsletter just continually educates and hopefully they get value, uh, even if that value is just out of me finding the good stuff, so they don't have to run around and, and look for it. I'm, uh, one of the columns I put in my newsletter is I call cool tools, and I just put three little uh, um, you know newish kind of tools, not really a review, but just, hey, you know, you might take a look at this. And I have people all the time that write to me and say, I, I just love getting that, you know, very digestible uh, type of thing. And so um, that, then those people, you know, do build up some some loyalty. They do build up um, the the kind of willingness to, you know, to hear more from you. Um, and, I, and I think it's interesting. I, I, I'm not sure I have all the answers. In fact, I know I don't have all the answers, but I, I think it's something that you know, your real question was, how do you turn those into buyers, or you know, where does that fit into the the whole cycle? And and I think that there, it's one of those kind of. While I 100% agree that it's the most valuable asset that you own, I think it's one of those things that you can't stand pat on. You have to continue to experiment. You have to, 
you know, look at ways to fight kind of fatigue. Um, in other words, if somebody's been on your list, I have people that have been on my list since 2003. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, do, you know, do, what am I doing to continue to, you know, to serve them? I mean, and I think that that's, you know, you have to keep, you have to keep experimenting. And, and I, I saw, um, you know, Michael Port, yeah. um, um, you know, his philosophy is, you know, a lot of people kind of use this, let's walk them up the chain, right? Let's, let's send them a $79 offer. And then once they buy that, let's do them the four ninety nine, And then once they buy that, let's, you know, sell them the $10,000 course. Um, and, and he and I were talking recently about something he calls the sales cycle, where he actually just routinely says, here's everything that, you know, here are my offerings. Um, you know, which one, uh, which one fits you? Um, and, and he, you know, claims or swears that, that that approach really is more effective at selling his higher priced programs than if he just kind of walked, waited for people to kind of walk up on their own, because there are people that are ready to jump to the high ticket item or that, that want the personal handholding, you know, that comes along with it. And they don't really want to be bothered with the $79 do it yourself course. Um, and, and and the reason I'm just rambling about that is is that I think that uh, there there's no one way to do this, and I think you have to really stay dynamic and keep experimenting with it, and and mix up your formats uh, to to keep people you know really engaged. Uh, but I but uh, I'll kind of circle back and say, but there's no question that that if you're going to be in business and and selling anything, whether it's online or offline, um, uh, email. Email addresses of people that want to hear from you <laughs> are your most valuable asset. Yeah, and I think um, I think it's really important for everyone that's listening right now to understand that that teaching sells, but if the teaching doesn't get to the prospect, it will never ever sell. So the idea here is that the content that you put out on your podcast and on your blog, and maybe in video, is consumed. And but if if but if you don't give that consumer the chance to get more of it in a very clear way. And what we're both expounding here is that the easiest way to do that is to get them onto an email newsletter. Um, Then you're missing out on a huge opportunity. And the second thing is, John, if I can just summarize what some of what you said, it's very important to make sure that the content that you deliver via email is fresh and not stale. And, you know, you need to put the same kind of investment into your newsletter if not more, than what you are in your original content because these are people that are your most loyal fans because they're agreeing. They've given permission for you to communicate with them on a regular basis. And I like to use the word drip feed. We are drip feeding the 245,000 people that are on our newsletter at Social Media Examiner every single day. And we better deliver value to those people because I know that those people are the ones that purchase what we have to sell and evangelize all of our content. And it is the linchpin to all that we do. Yeah. And I, and I think there's, you know, you and I have been doing this long enough. Everybody, you know, not everybody had a newsletter. Well, everybody has a news, an email newsletter now. So I think the, the bar is much higher. And I think you have to start experimenting with, with different ways to deliver, different ways to stand out in that inbox. I, you and I were talking off air about our mutual friend, Chris Brogan. I, I, I think he does something very interesting with a newsletter. He, first off, he sends it out on Sunday morning. Uh, which is a little bit contrary to you know what a lot of people in business do. Uh, it is very personal in nature. There's no graphics in it. It's just a long kind of. You almost feel like he just sat down and said, "Well, I, here's what I think I'm going to." Yeah, and he always says, "I'm <laughs> drinking this kind of tea this morning. Right, what are you right. drinking?" Right. Yeah, and and I think that that people, you know, it really does. I'm not saying it's 
right or wrong approach. I mean, obviously, it's going to be different for everybody, but I think it's a good example of of a different approach uh, and in an attempt to kind of stand out in 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 the email inbox. And I I will say that I've you know found myself on Sunday morning not really having a whole lot of other email <laughs> that's coming in or not as much. Uh, thinking, yeah, I'm going to sit down and read Chris's uh, kind of long rambling today. So I think you I think you definitely I think we both agree without question that it's an important asset. But I think you know how you make it important to your business is going to be significantly different. It's something you have to keep working at. And I will say, I know that I've spoken to Chris and he's told me that he writes that content just for his newsletter subscribers and does not publish it anywhere else. So, you know, there's an example of providing extreme value. Now, yeah, if, John, if it, if it was easy, yeah, everybody would yeah, exactly. But he, you know, Chris can close his eyes and just pop out a blog post with, with, you know, with a burp. So let's talk about one of the questions I'm sure people are wondering is, okay, I get the value of teaching that it helps to sell, but how do I know whether or not what I'm teaching is contributing to the sale. You know, what are your thoughts? Well, I, you know, this is a really dry, boring answer, but I mean, I think you, you need to get very good at measurement, um, at, you know, having clear objectives, what you're trying, you know, what, what step you're trying to move people to, and then, you know, measure that. Um, you know, one of my favorite, uh, metrics, and again, this doesn't always work for, you know, pure, it actually can work very well for pure online businesses, but I think the example of, of you know offline businesses, particularly people with with you know sales teams or or sales employees, um, that that you know that that percentage of leads converted is you know my one of my favorite metrics. Uh, very few people actually measure it. You know, even sophisticated online people, I don't see measuring. Um, but I think without you know, you know, everybody gets really excited about generating traffic or about making the phone ring, um, and and I think the metric that actually ends up making us the most money is uh, is conversions. Well, obviously, it's uh, it's the only metric that actually makes us uh, money. Um, and it's funny how if you can establish a baseline of one or two or three percent conversion, you know, then you can go to work on tweaking all the things that lead to that. So tweaking the content, tweaking the process, tweaking the touch points that, that really are aimed at raising that number one or two or three percent because uh, you, you can double the bottom line of a business uh, focused on that metric alone. Um, and, and it's a shame how often people will simply just throw more stuff out and say, well, gosh, that seemed to work okay. Um, you have to really get pretty scientific about it, I think, if you're going to to really wring the most profit possible out of your business. Well, and I do know that um, we mentioned uh, HubSpot, and I also know Marketo are two examples that are pretty costly, but they do allow you to track literally everything. You know, So you can see, for example, Prospect X read all these articles, filled out the form, and then boom, became a customer and you know somehow integrated with your your CR your, your Salesforce or whatever. But what I like to do, some of the things that we do is we we use one shopping cart as our merchant system and we come up with what we call ad track URLs. So our shopping sure. cart has ad trackers and I, I had like a hundred of them for social media marketing world. And they'll actually, you know, every article, for example, that I created or every email or every, you know, whatever had a unique URL. So even the Twitter activity and the Facebook activity so that I could actually track sales to activities. Um, but a couple things that I also did, like on the podcast, is I had a, a verbal URL that was different um, than, than, than what I would mention on the website. And any hits that came off of that I knew came out of the podcast. Huh. Um, so, for example, you know, um, you could just, 
buy a domain, you know what I mean? And you could just mention it on your podcast and then boom, you could track all the, all the, all the stuff that comes off of that, that domain. The other thing that I thought that I do that's kind of intriguing is we survey our audience and, you know, every year we put out a report, which is, um, as of this recording will have been out for maybe just about a week, our industry report. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions we ask is, if people have participated in any of the following activities that we have, like for example, social media marketing world, the podcast and all these other things. And we, we list all the activities that we have and then they check off all the things that they've done. This allows me to do really deep analysis. So for example, I can, I can say, okay, just show the people that listen to the podcast and then what percentage of the people that listen to the podcast came to social media marketing world. I know it's about 23%. So that kind of data sometimes is, is even more valuable, you know, after, you know, the fact, because, you know, John, it's so hard to know what contributes to the cell, right? Because it's yeah. often many things, isn't it? It is. It is. In fact, I think a lot of people fall into the trap of, you know, that use uh, sophisticated analytics and they kind of fall into the trap of attributing everything to the last click. Right. Um, and, and, you know, that sometimes, like you said, I mean, very difficult to measure how many people heard your podcast and then, you know, r ran over and clicked on an affiliate link from somebody else, you know, to, to actually come and buy your thing. Well, I mean, one thing is obvious. Um, teaching really does sell and it's not nearly as hard to do as just flat out selling. Um, and the old ways of selling just don't work as well anymore. And these new ways of selling, and we didn't really say this, but the good news about teaching to sell is that people come and they're ready to buy, don't they, John? I mean, when they're, yeah. when they're ready, they're sold for the most part, aren't they? Yeah. In fact, I, you know, I have long contended, you know, somebody that I want to sell a, a, a pretty large scale consulting engagement to, if I'm having to convince them why they need this, then I have not taught them. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I actually have pulled back from people because I think the other thing that that selling, selling, selling does is it, it lands you with the wrong kind of engagement. You know, you want that person that sort of mutually agrees that this is good for them, this is good for you, and let's charge ahead. And you only get that by all of the teaching that you do to, to lead them up to being that ideal client. Um, I, I think that's another element we really didn't touch on. Is It's not just to get the sale, it's actually to get the right sale. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Marcus Sheridan, who I, I think you know, and he's a good friend of mine, sure, sure. he requires people to read, he's got like a 200-page ebook that he gives away for free, he won't even consider taking someone as a client if they have not read that book. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Which I think is yeah. brilliant, right? Because it's like, you know, he just knows it's going to be a lot more challenging to take them on as a client if they haven't at least been educated on the value proposition of what it is that he has to offer. And I think it's really awesome. Well, we could talk about this all day, John. And I know you've written a book on this um, called Duct Tape Selling. So why don't you tell folks where they can find the book and where they can find out more about you? Well, yeah, a lot of what we've talked about today is really contained in, in a specific chapter in the book, uh, but it really goes through the whole – the subtitle probably tells as much as anything. Think like a marketer, sell like a superstar. So it, it's a book that is uh, – I wrote really for that independent salesperson out there that needed to really kind of adapt to changes. But I, I keep hearing from more and more business owners who tell me that they think this is really the more personal approach to marketing that that they need to take. And, and I'm hearing from big company – you know, VPs of marketing saying, hey, this is the book we need to get sales and marketing on the same page. So fortunately, it's kind of got a chameleon um, um, approach to it. But uh, uh, you can find more at uh, – I, I have a site uh, for the book, ducttapeselling.com. And then, of course, every everything I do and talk about and all the free resources and whatnot uh, uh, for my business are at ducttapemarketing.com. John Jantz, 
author of Duct Tape Selling and many other books. Thank you so much for joining me on today's show and exploring this very important topic. Well, my pleasure, and I really appreciate you uh, helping with the launch of this new book. Well, I hope you got a lot out of that episode, and be sure to grab John Jant's new book. Also, if there was anything that we mentioned that you missed, we take the notes for you, and you can find them at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 94. Yes, we've done 94 episodes of this show, which is just crazy. Um, If you've not already done so, would you consider giving a rating and or a review, especially if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time and have gotten value out of it, um, giving us a rating and or a review helps basically other people discover more about the show because it helps us get seen in iTunes and on Stitcher. So you can go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes or socialmediaexaminer.com slash Stitcher. This does bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.